get rid of that scratchy music. I don't know what's going on there. Hopefully that's not a shape of things to come. But uh, welcome again to Tuesday Night Live. I will hand you over tonight to our host, Peter J. How are you going, Peter? Good evening, Phoenix. Thanks very much for that, mate. And welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Bigfooty Crowcast. And it's Tuesday Night Live, of course, and we're glad to have you all with us, hopefully listening in. I'm quite happy for you to follow us uh, on our, um, our website there. If you could just put your messages on and we'll try and discuss whatever it is that you've got to say and we'll have a chat, a chat about things uh, ourselves. Tonight we've got uh, Nikki uh, with us, Danoz and Mackett. How are you all, everybody? Very good, thank you. Good, thanks, Pete. I'm good. Great to have you with us tonight, everyone, and uh, we'll kick it off. Tonight, I think, with the uh, probably one of the most important issues facing and confronting sport today, it was a very, very um, dark day in the sporting Australian sporting uh, annals on uh, on Saturday because uh, no, it wasn't drugs in sport. It wasn't um, uh, you know it wasn't racism in sport. It was uh, another very, very dark and very, very confronting issue, and that of course was the Crows players creeping onto uh, onto the field when uh, the ladies were playing the curtain raiser. I just can't believe the hoo-ha that's being made about this and, you know, calls for players to be fined and all this kind of crap that's going on. I mean, it's just the most ridiculous issue, non-issue, but I'm going to raise it. We need to discuss it because uh, everyone's carrying on about it. What do you all think? Well, I'll hop in there first. Uh, I was at the ground ground and uh, I had a very good view of it and I saw a couple of boys there when they first came out they went into one little corner of the oval when the ball was down the other end and they had a couple of kicks and then when the ball came back down to the end where they were, they went off the oval and then they obviously got told not to go back on there again and that was it. And uh, quite frankly, I mean, the players are what I was there to see. Not, I wasn't actually there to see the women's game with all due respect. But um, the uh, officials thought they shouldn't have been on, on the uh, ground and... Uh, but it was a very momentary thing, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, if you want to uh, give it a mark out of 10 for something to talk about, it's about a point one. And, you know, but it's Rucci. Rucci started that whole thing. Um, I mean, a poor player could murder something, somebody and he tries to suppress it, but he tries to make a, a big thing out of something like that. So my point of view, I just think it was, uh, that it was a non-event and uh, move on. Now, Nikki, of all people, um, I'd imagine that uh, if anyone was going to be offended, would be a, a, a top-level football player such as yourself. <laughs> let, let me know what your thoughts were. I saw absolutely no problem with it because it's a game that's played before the main one. It's It already has had to have some changes made because, like, the centre circle has moved off to the side, which I still think they should allow the wings to come in on the other side because... It's just ridiculous the way that they set up the centre square there. So there's already some changes being made. The games are shortened as well because they can't play um, a full game. I think sometimes they actually start the games before the gates even open as well, which is kind of interesting. And the players, if you've actually seen them do it, they're only just inside the boundary line. They're just having a little kick back and forwards. They're keeping an eye on the play and they only do it when the play is all the way up the other end of the ground. If they were doing it when the play was around there or they were kicking, running into the middle of the oval, then yes, that's an issue. But because they're on that side of the ground, they're actually allowed to come out and do their warm-up 
they're not allowed to kick next to the fence because they might hit spectators, etc. So they actually have to um, keep it in a little bit. I saw absolutely no problem with it and people were getting offended about it and I'm just like, oh, whatever. Sounds fair enough, Nikki. Dan Oz, how do you feel about it, mate? It's a bit of a non-issue, I think. And that's all that needs to be said. Yeah, I don't I don't have much to say about it. I I hadn't heard about it until you guys started talking about it before. Um it doesn't really seem to be much of a big deal to me. Yeah, I think it's a lot of rubbish and I'm quite happy to move on from it. Um next issue uh, to uh, to discuss, uh, how did everybody uh, see the game on on Saturday night? It was a terrific night for football. It was uh, a little bit cool, it wasn't too dewy and uh, the uh, conditions were conducive to good fast football and that's what it was. It was a uh, an excellent game, and uh, you know, I I left room for the possibility that um, Adelaide could win that game because they have often in the past come up and won games at home, but not expected to. They just seem to be able to rise to a level on occasion, um, and so there was always room for the possibility of what was going to happen on Saturday night. But I have to say, I didn't see it coming. Well, I'll jump in there because I want to say something. Um, that's because I did pick them last Tuesday. I was the only one that did, because um, I and I genuinely believed that we could, as long as we at least broke even in the midfield and didn't allow them to have the dominant the dominance in the midfield that they'd had in other games. And our boys uh, did better than break even. They got slightly better, and uh, that was good enough because we got a very good attack, a good very good defence. And once we could break even in the midfield or just win slightly, then then we win the game. So that means what? You didn't get feedback then. Oh, that sounds a bit better. So, I uh, think, sorry, I now where were we? Uh, we're talking about, obviously, the uh, the midfield much improved on Saturday night. Um, some terrific efforts. And I was really, really impressed with um, my old mate Rory Atkins, who thought he just did a brilliant job of, um, it, after quarter time, I should add, because I think in the first quarter he was uh, he was quite dodgy, but uh, after quarter time, just thought he did a terrific job in the midfield. Yeah, he was really good. I mean, the reason why I didn't pick us was I looked at their midfield and Mummy's been playing well. Jacobs, whilst he got that little bit of touch back against Gold Coast, I worried whether he was 
could take that step up another notch um, to counter mummy and and their speed worried me. But the plan that Pike put in place was just absolutely brilliant. We beat them at the contest. We beat them at the clearances. In order to stop their speed and run, stop them getting the ball first. Simple. Nikki, you just touched on something I wanted to talk about as well. Um, American Crow brought up last week or the week before uh, uh, that Jacob seemed to be um, struggling with, t- with the timing of his jumps. The first bounce on Saturday night, Jacob's timed it perfectly. He waited until the ball was at uh, the point that he needed to jump, then he jumped and he got the tap and it went straight to one of our players. And uh, I almost felt like that was that was the first moment of the week that I felt confident that we could actually do something special. Uh, he's just been so out of sorts recently. It was great to see him get his timing back in. Some of his uh, tapping work, tap work was uh, quite brilliant. He pulled uh, two or three over his head backwards and, and obviously to a plan. And the one when uh, Charlie Cameron come running through from the back of the square at about 100 mile an hour, and he's, he's absolutely put it perfectly to him so he didn't have to break stride. And, of course, he passed it off to Tex when we got a goal. And um, football could be a very easy game when you do it well. And uh, that was a brilliant tap. That For particular me, that's moment, yeah, that particular moment was like the water. The waters parted. Well, it came on the back of uh, Eddie's goal, didn't it? And you know, you had you had Eddie's goal, and the place was absolutely, you know, the, the foundations of the stand were just about shaking uh, when Eddie kicked that goal. And no sooner had we caught our breath uh, from that bit of play that um, Cameron does that. It's almost as like, well, you know what, Eddie, um, this is one. This is my night as well. And so he wasn't. He wasn't going to be left out, and so it was a fantastic bit of play. But it came right on the right on the back end of Eddie's goal, so the place was just uh, going bananas. Actually, that lifted the whole side that goal of Eddie's because if I remember, and I can't get remember correctly, uh, exactly, sorry, but in that last about three minutes and forty something seconds, we either kicked three or four goals straight after Eddie's goal, it, as if it just made the whole side. Uh, puff their chest out and think we really are good in the way they went. I just yeah, I love the reaction of the players around him. Well, exactly what I said. You know, they really seem to think we've got it, you know. And and I, and I thought we played a, the most brilliant ending of a corner that we've done for a long time. Oh, it was about four goals in the last sort of six or seven minutes of that quarter, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was even probably shorter than that, but it was, but it was in a very, very quick time. Bango, four goals, and uh, we it went from being like a um, a useful but not safe lead to probably a match-winning lead. I wasn't overly concerned about the um, the last quarter. I, I thought that um, for all the criticism that the midfield uh, has got, I thought that they stuck at it in the last quarter. I don't think that. How, how that unfolded was their fault. We still got 14 inside 50s in that last quarter, and we had a couple of, you know, a number of very, very good opportunities to score. And I thought that for the praise that the forward lines got over the last weeks, really they carried the blame for that last quarter because they blew some 
very, very um, gettable opportunities. And uh, I, but I, I have to say, I never felt like that we we lost control of the game. I always felt that um, that we had enough in reserve to uh, to get ourselves over the line. That's an excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah, even See, during their five five goal run in the last quarter, it, it didn't feel out of control. No, and if, if at any point we'd have just taken one of those opportunities, uh, that that probably wouldn't have happened. So when I got home from the game, we had to watch the third quarter, and then we decided to watch the last quarter because you know why not? And it was kind of interesting. Like at the ground, I felt that there were dodgy decisions that went their way just prior to all their goals, and you watch the replay, and it's like, yeah, um, every single one of their goals had to have a little bit of umpiring help seemed to occur um, prior to it. Number and f- I didn't yeah. feel. I didn't feel nervous at all and it was we were in the aftermatch function and they asked people to put up their hands and say, you know, who felt nervous in the last quarter. So, of course, probably about 85%, 90% of the crowd there put their hand up and he's like, okay, who didn't feel nervous? And, you know, my dad and I put our hands up and I remember actually sitting there and, and dad made the point of they've got to kick more goals in the last quarter to beat us and stop us completely scoring than they have done in the whole game. And it's that's just not going to happen, really. Uh, the, the point about the umpiring was sort of half right um, in the sense that one umpire in particular, number 44, um, I don't think he's a Crows fan. I, it, most of the decisions you would be talking about, Nicky, were made by that um, melon head. And, uh, and I, just, I just couldn't work out why he pulled out some of those decisions that he did. Uh, and as you say, and they went GWS's uh, way. And um, look, it, it, there were some genuine uh, decisions against us. Um, and uh, Razor Ray, I mean, he's, he's a good umpire, but he's a harsh umpire. But uh, yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, I, I honest, just I actually kind of felt comfortable, which I didn't is really have weird. Too, I didn't have too many problems with the umpire, and to be honest, I just. I just had problems with um, some of the uh, idiocy that happened in the, in the last quarter in our forward 50, that was all. Um, you know, some of the, I mean, Dougie's spray, um, Lynch's spray, um, you know, that just went on. There's a litany of of poor play that uh, that meant that we that we didn't just get that one or two goals we needed to um, um, to get you know to keep ourselves safe. But anyway, I thought that overall you could not have been disappointed with the game if you'd, if you'd asked... At the start, would you take a twenty-two point win? You take it every day of the week against, you know, probably the you know the form side of the competition. So, it was a um, fabulous effort, really, really good effort. Um, probably up, certainly up there with the with the Sydney win, and maybe even a, a better win because when you when you look at the criticisms that we leaved uh, about having a slow midfield and 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 all of that business, and no question, I mean, I don't know how you guys saw it, but at the game across the ground, they were electric fast. GWS, they were really, really fast in the way they could move the ball. But you know, we managed to, um, we still managed to uh, to do well and beat them in the clearances, beat them in the uh, the centre clearances, and beat them in contested footy. So you know, we uh, we did what we had to do. One very odd statistic that came out of that was the fact that you're quite right. We did win the clearances, which is the most important thing. But if you look at the stats of the midfielders, their three main midfielders got thirty, twenty nine, and twenty eight. Uh, disposals respectively so 
if they're not doing it at the clearances, they've got to be doing it around the ground. And Kelly in particular, I noticed he picked up most of his in our forward lines. He, he dropped right back in deep. And Coniglio did, did a little bit of that as well. So, um, uh, you know, to we, what I'm really saying is uh, we might not have had the overall numbers that they had, but we won the vital ones, which were the clearances. And we also had the disposal efficiency. Those players who got the high numbers, they were in the 60s for their disposal efficiency, whereas our guys were up a lot higher. I thought the other interesting observation from the game was just uh, how much better our defence can look when they are not being absolutely bombarded by a 1,000 inside 50s and they get some reasonable coverage up the ground. I think that that helped them greatly. And um, and what we saw is that we've got a very, very good and efficient defence um, when they're getting the proper coverage that they need up the ground. Yeah, very good point. In fact, I think most of our players were pretty useful on the night with the exception of possibly Van Burlow, who, and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to be a VB knocker, but because overall I think he's been a good servant to the club. But unfortunately, I think that accident with the sled and the injury he had to his Achilles has meant that his days are over as a, an AFL player. He just hasn't got the right pace. So I thought he was our, uh, our one player who probably didn't contribute what he should have. But I thought. Hendo. Uh, oh, sorry, you got me. Uh, no, and Hendo. They did what he usually does, see gold uh, possessions, etc. Uh, one day I'd like to see him really earn a hard one. Yeah, I thought um, it was probably uh, one of, if not um, the best game of the year from, from Daniel Taylor. I thought he was brilliant, 20-odd possessions. I think, what was it, eight or nine marks? And he was just uh, absolutely impassable down there. He was brilliant. I thought Cheney had probably his second best game for the club. Um after the Richmond game earlier on in the season. He was terrific, gave uh, Johnson nothing and just thought he was really, really composed uh, and he uh, used the ball very, very well coming out of defence. Um, so, and, of course, Hardigan uh, was, was brilliant as well. So those two guys are just um, uh, making a, a very, very com- a good combination uh, down there. And, uh, and the other defender who I think slipped under the radar a little bit was Luke Brown, had another very, very good game on Saturday night. So altogether, as a collective, I thought the defence did very well. Luke Brown is a gun, absolute gun. Makes you wonder why we're going after Michael Hurley if we've got someone as good as uh, Hardigan in there. Can never have too much depth, though. Yeah, one one thing if you do get Hurley, and um, I mean, he is uh, one of those players that can play either end of the ground, so he does give you versatility. But um, I do think we need a midfielder more than we need him. Yeah, agreed. Probably just off track a little bit, but I'm happy to uh, chat about it since you raise it, Dan. Also, I think we all have these wish lists of, of players that we want, and, um, and and I think that you know it's generally accepted that we we could use a, a, a quality midfielder come the end of the year. But at the end of the day, you know, um, you got to have these people wanting to come to your club. Uh, and that is, that is the, the first and foremost thing. I mean, you can you can offer them money, you can chase them, blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, they've got to want to come. And so, um, a guy like Hurley, who's you know obviously a quality player, if he says he wants to come to your club, well then you know you've got to entertain it because it may be that no midfielder wants to come to our club. And, and so, when, when you get a player of his quality, I mean, as Mackie, I think that you make an excellent point. He is a swingman. And whilst 
you know, our defence looks really, really good at the moment. You know, there's no reason why Hurley couldn't be slotted in there, you know, in perhaps a forward position or, or something. Um, someone someone of that quality, if, if he, you know, and I don't know for sure, but if he is knocking on the door, if he is saying, look, I'm interested in coming to your club, you have to entertain that quality, don't you? You, you yeah. did. And the, there's there's been a couple of teams who have really thrived on having a lot of tall defenders over the years. Um, the notable one I can remember is um, Geelong. Geelong, during their good years over the last 10 years or so, uh, had four or even five tall defenders. Excellent point. Yeah, that's a really good point. And uh, Pete's point is, is exactly right. I mean, if Hurley was going to come, yes, you, you'd throw heaven and earth to get him. Um, the, the biggest problem in getting him, of course, is the fact that the, all the Victorian clubs are after him and for him to stay in Victoria and just go to one of those clubs is very, very easy. So it's going to be very hard to get him. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt at all. And look, you know, if, if you've got um, a high-quality midfielder who's, who wants to come to your club and, and you've got to make the decision, well, then, you know, fair enough. I'd, I'd be saying, look, you know, throw all the eggs in the midfield basket. But... Just depends, doesn't it? Depends on, on who wants, and that's something that we're never privy to. We're never privy to, to what the negotiations actually are, and, and who's interested and, and who's not. But uh, anyway, um, any final comments on uh, on Saturday night, other than the fact of uh, you know what a, what a ripping win it was? Well, we haven't mentioned Eddie's goal, of course. Um, uh, unbelievable in the Indigenous round, Eddie does it again, and he kicks what might well be the goal of the year again for the second year in a row. All I can say is he's a highlights package. He's not a player. He's a highlights package. I love watching that guy play. And he's, uh, he's teaching up young Eddie, uh, young uh, Charlie Cameron. Um, and when Eddie retires, we'll have another one. Um, Eddie apparently did promise Charlie and Wayne that they get to share the car. <laughs> um, and he also, incidentally, he doesn't have one nomination for goal of the year in this round. He got two. So he's up against himself and Rowan, and, and it's really bad corner? when you watch. Yeah, that's right. If you and if you watch the three goals, so they show the one that's definitely going to win first. Then they show the second one, and then they go Rowan's, and it's like Rowan's is in such a lower league in comparison to the other two. It's a really good goal, but it's just not the same league as those other two. Yeah, I saw Rowan's goal. You're quite right. They're poles apart. All right, we'll uh, uh, perhaps move on from the game on, on Saturday night and perhaps uh, we might have a look, Nikki, at the uh, the weekly award for the uh, Wombling Numbnut. Um, what, uh, what nominations should we look at this week, do you think? Well, it's kind of interesting because somebody else started the thread, so I can't create a poll. So, guys, on the board, if you start the thread, I can't create a poll for the nominations. Shh, wait till I do it. Or prompt me. Send me a message to tell me to do it if you've got a nomination you kind of want to start talking about. So we're going to ignore the the nomination that started the thread, which was Ricardo's Red Bull team, because it's Formula One. We we keep it to football, but yes, they are cockwombling numbnuts for destroying his chances to win a game. It's kind of interesting because a few people were like raising Toby Green because he's basically being Toby Green. But the ones that really stood out to me on the night were the GWS medical staff. Now, they have a player that's suffering a concussion. 
there's a minute to go in the game. They decide finally that they're going to take him off because the boy should not be on the ground. Instead of taking him 10 metres to the race and straight down the rooms, they elect to start walking him back across the other side of the oval. Patful actually has to stop him and start yelling at them to take him down the race that's right next to them. I don't know what that medical staff were thinking, but wouldn't you want to take him the place that you're actually going to take him instead of making him walk all the way across the oval and then all the way back again when the guy has suffered a pretty pretty heavy knock and they refused to bring the stretcher out and they refused the ambulance. They, they were quite happy to let him walk. I don't know what that medical staff was on, but I think they need to have a nice, good, hard look at themselves. Yeah, that whole event, it, it, it was a disgrace, really. Um, so they, they were kind of like the bit of the standout. And the more I've actually been thinking about it, the GWS cheer squad, I think, needs a bit of a brick back because their banner before the game said that Stevie J was going to do magic in Eddie Betts's pocket. Now, you Who'd might you want to consider... You might want to consider that this is Indigenous round peoples. And as I said on the board, and I also said this on the podcast on Sunday night, I finally realised the next day that Stevie J did do magic in Eddie Betts' pocket, considering he now has four. He did a disappearing act. <laughs> very good. Yeah, very And in particular, I'd just like to put in a standing nomination for Rucci, and the reason, <laughs> the, the reason is because he's Rucci. <laughs> yeah, well, basically. My nomination yeah. this week, it goes without saying, uh, my nomination this week is the, and I don't know who it was, but the cockwampling nunnut who decided that our our players and our clubs should be fined for um, stepping onto the oval uh, when the um, at the curtain raiser game was being played. Absolute was, stupidity. Idiot. That was, that was Rucci, wasn't it? It was Rucci. Well, um, I if, think if it, the route, to be Rucci fair, suggested it. the the Rucci stuff actually started from a blog or a website that writes at women's who got who were the ones who highlighted in the first place, and then Caroline Wilson ran with it as well last night. Um, the other one I thought we could nominate is actually Geelong, but they actually give me great mirth at the moment. Well, my my nomination I think would have to be for the. Um... For the guy who was doing the goal review, who decided to take what two or three minutes to decide that he could work out what, what he could see. Oh, seriously, he, he worked that be, out, out after yeah. twenty seconds. He, should, he shouldn't be allowed to be there. That was hopeless. Well, that was going to be my third nomination, but it wouldn't have been for him. It's actually for the AFL. If you are going to have a goal review system, then you must have standard camera angles at every game. That is identical because you cannot have them in different places for them. It's it's unfair. There is no equalisation there in terms of them being able to, to tell. If you're going to bring in this review system, you have to have the infrastructure in place. So for me, it's the AFL. I swear last year the Adelaide Oval had goal line cameras. I thought we did too, actually. All right, so do we have a winner? They all win, as far as I'm concerned. 
I'm I'm kind of tossing up with the GWS trainers and the AFL. No, I, I, I'd give it to the I'd give I'd definitely give it to the, the GWS trainer because that was ridiculous. Yeah, right. Happy to do that. Yeah, the two doctors. Done. Yep. Deal. And you could also. One thing I was going to just, uh, moving on from that, one one of the things I was also going to mention tonight was interesting, did I read something today where, given that we're talking about Roach, that he was talking about actual uh, supporters' podcasts and 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 things like that? Had, has he? Are you listening tonight, Roach? Are you out there? Are you listening to us? It, it, that's what it sounded like from what I, what I read today. It seemed like that he was uh, listening to the podcast. Well, it wasn't our podcast because – or he might have listened to our podcast and he's made something up um, because what he said the podcast was talking about, that wasn't us last week. So it could be somebody else or he could have just been making something up. Yeah, well, we've certainly hit the heights, haven't we? I was, yeah, I, I saw that today uh, where it was mentioned that apparently some podcasts have been calling for the um, the standing down of senior players and blah, blah, blah. and. Except Eddie. <laughs> so anyway, um, interesting. Standing, what are you What are you talking about? What's that in relation to, Pete? Oh, I was just curious that it just it was curious to me that that Richie is writing about the fact that you know and uh, about a, a supporters yep. podcast and that he's potentially out there listening and um, and uh, but noting that Nikki said that uh, it wasn't because. Don't forget, I wasn't on last week, so I, w- I wasn't sure what had been discussed and whether there had been a big smashing of the uh, senior players. I didn't think there would have been, but um, what, just what, what in relation to the senior players, though? What, what are you, what are you referring to? So, what he actually said the podcast was talking about was that they were calling on the club to basically stand down from the AFL team, the senior players, with the exception of Eddie. He's the only one who's allowed to keep playing. The rest shouldn't be playing in the AFL team. Why? Why would we not have our senior players playing? That doesn't make well, any sense to me at he's, all. He's, he's saying that the, the fans are saying this because they don't like the senior players. I've never heard such a rubbish in my life. Anyway, I think that the point being is that we didn't that didn't come from our podcast, and I think that that's the point that um, I was trying to make, that it didn't come from us. But just an interesting observation that he's out there, um, I guess, trying to uh, push probably push his own barrow by denigrating um, and making up rubbish about uh, things that are said on on the supporter podcasts. I guess he sees it as a bit of competition. Maybe who knows? Well, he did refer. Well, no. He did refer. Sorry, uh, last Sunday uh, to uh, Big Footy as uh, the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> yes, thank you, Big Hook, nineteen sixty one. Now, which was his former username on Big Footy? It was He's probably got. He's probably got another one now. I, I used to love it every time he posted on our board as a parent Hawthorne fan who only posted on the Adelaide board that every time Macca, you would just reply to him and just go, hi, Roach, which, exactly. is, just, yeah. which is just so funny. I love that. To me, though, what he missed the story there was if there are fan podcasts starting like we are, it's because we're not getting great value judgments or opinions and discussion about the club that we want to hear on the mainstream media. Maybe they need to pull their finger out. It's a really good point that you make, and I think that that's the issue. I mean, as an example, and um, 
just chatting about mainstream media, but as an example, I don't know if anybody listens to uh, the good old 5AA, but um, I was listening, I was driving home and I was listening to them uh, last, or yesterday at about 4.40 and uh, they had Tomo came on and he gave an interview about the GWS game, went for about 20 minutes, covered all, you know, the various sort of, you know, normal, you know, standard boring points that you would, uh, that you would cover. And I was driving home from work tonight, 4.40. They had Richard Douglas on. They had him on for about 20 minutes. They asked him pretty much the same questions. And I just thought, you know, where's the, where's the, I mean, you're getting access to star players. Where's the variety? It's just, you know, it just seemed just really, really stayed to me. Well, the one of the problems, of course, is you've got Rowie is one of the people that asks the questions. And with all due respect, she's, you know, he's not the brightest spark you've ever met. <laughs> I do have to say though, um, I caught the tail end of um the afternoon rub with Louis and Jars and they had a guy on from um this thing's called the Resilience Project. Now his name is Hugh Van Kylenberg. He's a former primary school teacher and he created this um particular project to do with um children in schools because of the mental health, um, there's been such an increase in mental health, et cetera, and it's, so it's just helping kids cope with anxiety and, and other things like this. The Melbourne Storm contacted him last year, got him in to do um, one of the courses with the players, and he's trying to say, well, this is actually for primary school kids and high school kids and adolescents, and they're like, no, 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 we want you to do it. They absolutely loved it and were so engaged. They contacted Rugby League, Rugby League, the NRL has he's then developed um, this with the NRL to create a program to work with the clubs there. He then did some work at Collingwood and Richmond, and he's just recently done work with the Crows. And he revealed some very interesting thing, things out of that, and particularly that he's done some one-on-one work with Paul Seedsman because Seedsman, he had an issue in that, he gets so much information from all the coaches during the week that when he gets out on the ground, he's got all that information churning in his head as well as trying to gauge the game. And so what Hugh's been working with Seedsman about is actually getting him to meditate. And so that allows him to be, as he calls, in the moment. And so he can process that information a lot clearer and easier and so that's what he's been working through, interestingly, I found with, with Seisman. So this is something, that's the type of stuff we want to hear from the mainstream media. And I and if anybody, I suggest you, I highly recommend people get on the podcast and have a listen to that one. It should be up on the Triple M website because, and it was right at the end. It was a really interesting discussion um, and it gave quite an interesting insight into a different side than what we expect from footballers. Yeah, that um, yeah, certainly uh, at least that kind of thing can, um, as you say, give some different perspective and, and um, add something something different to what you're listening to. And, and otherwise it just seems to, uh, not just me, but it just seems to get very, very um, one-dimensional, I think is the term that I would use, very one-dimensional. Yeah, but I think the problem is, though, Peter, is that, I mean, I'm a 5AA fanatic and I listen to it all the time. I should say sorry to Ray because he is, he is amusing in his own way. Um, 
and I think you know I think Bickley uh, is quite intelligent, and he, he does ask quite intelligent questions. Um, but the biggest problem is is that the clubs don't like to give a lot away these days. You know, the, the, in the past, the players used to get up there and just about spill every part of the game plan and everything else that the coach had planned, etc., etc. But now, I mean, it's it's like. I used to get a lot of inside information from the club going back there when, in the days when Trigg was back there, etc., and things were not run like they are now. But the club's very, very professional. You can't get a damn thing out of it in terms of um, intel. And uh, uh, when the players go up there, I'm sure they are restricted in what they can talk about as well. Oh, no doubt, Macca. No doubt at all. Uh, that's, that, that goes without saying. But I think that there's still some scope uh, to do a little, I mean, if you if you're a fanatic or listener, then you, I don't know whether you heard those two interviews yesterday and today. But really, I mean, where was the value to the listener in, in promoting those two players one after the other two days in a row and asking the same questions? There was none. I, I heard both of those interviews, and, that, and then neither of them were particularly good. But I don't know what else they could have asked them that they would have answered. I mean, unfortunately, they dish up the same old stuff. Um, I just got no idea what else they could have asked. Well, they could have got. I mean, they they could have said, "Look, you know, on Monday we've got a, we've had Tomo, we've had a player. So on Tuesday we'll get I don't know Brett Burton, or we'll, you know, something different." Oh, I get you. I think you're getting it. So you're saying a, a different mix of personnel? Yeah, anything like that. You know, to to mix to mix it up a bit, and or even work. asking or even asking different questions. Yeah. I think there's, a, as I say, I, I do think there's a fairly limited range of uh, questions that you can ask because uh, you'll, they'll give you back the same, the same standard answers no matter what you ask. Um, no, they could have, what they could have done well, is they could have they could have focused the, the Monday Tomo interview on GWS and then focused the Tuesday Douglas interview on St Kilda. Good point. They tend good to point. they tend to do the St Kilda late, later in the week. If I knew, okay, we got Douglas. So what can we ask him? Well, he's been in the system for a little while, Victorian boy. So we also know, and it's been you know revealed that he's um, getting quite into property development and things like this. So you can actually ask him things about his life outside of football, um, and you can actually find out a little bit more about him. Exactly right. Exactly right. And yet they don't. They just don't bother. It just goes on to the same old, it's just the same old tribe. Actually, it's something that I'd quite enjoy listening to uh, SEN for because they tend to have a bit of a laugh and a joke with the players and ask them interesting questions that you um, want to listen to the answers for. Yeah, and even and I, they try and be a bit funny as well. I, I think that's the reason why, particularly that interview we had with um, Jared Lyons, is that we kind of we made him laugh and we made him comfortable, and I think we learned on that from the David McKay because we started out with some very different questions with him, and because of that, they both spent a little bit longer talking to us than their allocated time that we'd been told they would only be available for, and they were very happy to to talk that little bit longer. And I think it was because we'd done some research, we found out some interesting background stuff on them which then allows them to feel relaxed and they actually will reveal a little bit more. Very good point there, Nikki. What you, the point you made there was the fact you'd done some research in the first place which enabled you to ask a different set of questions and I think that's probably what's lacking in some cases. Mm. Oh, well, anyway, sorry, just a bit of a, a 
Bear my bonnet, so I've got a few bees in my bonnet tonight, so <laughs> I better move on. Um, we're getting, uh, we're getting, uh, getting the times marching on. Shall we um, have a quick look at uh, next Sunday's game? Sure. Where you go, Nikki? <laughs> oh, I'm actually looking forward to seeing St Kilda live. Um, I've quite enjoyed watching their development under Richardson. I think he is a sensational coach. Um, they talk about him being in the beverage mould. He's not as much as a cockwomble as beverage. I actually um, think he's a very nice, decent person from what I can see more of him. Um, they're, they're a very quick side. We, we're going to have to be turn, um, switched on because they, they've managed to, uh, to push some very good sides. But I think their their youth and inner experience just shows up a little bit. They tend to to tire. They've they actually got a, a lot of young uh, talented players, and uh, I think they've got a lot of jacks. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean they do have some very talented players, and uh, oh yeah. Uh, but and uh, I think there's uh, they suffer a little bit from perhaps you know like player number. 17 to 22 might not be as good as player number 17 to 22 in another team, and uh, which is often the determinant of whether you're going to be a good side overall or not. Um, but um, Nick Rewalt's in stunning form. Uh, the, the move to play him up on the wing, they say on the wing, but he's a wing half forward really because he, he roams that whole area. That he's got that capacity to run. Um, I mean, that's a brilliant move. Takes the attention away from him, but he still gets into the game. They got Stephen on the ball, who's, who's a very good player. Armitage, very good player. Um, they've got a lot and young Billings. They've got a lot of good players, and uh, uh, it, it won't be an easy game. We should win, and I think in the end we should grind them down and probably win by maybe around about six, seven goals if we produce what we we're capable of doing. But it's not a game we can sit back and take for granted because if we take sit back and don't give a hundred percent, we can easily get rolled because they have um, they, they do have talent. I couldn't agree more with you, Macker. I you know, I think that they have shown this year at times that they are a very, very good young side. They're a developing side, so you're never really quite sure what you're gonna get from them. They've got a sprinkling of older heads and um and they're very well coached. So they present as good opposition and uh, we would be in a lot of trouble if we take them lightly. And I'm sure we won't. I'm sure that we'll be switched on for, for a home game. And, uh, and, and I'm, you know, I feel quite confident that we'll get across the line. But uh, I, would expect, I would expect St Kilda to, uh, to go with us for a certain proportion of the match, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, it may... pretty, it's pretty similar to last year. I think we, we uh, pulled away in the last quarter, kicked three or four goals at the end and won by 35 points or so. I think that uh, we'll probably have about the same sort of margin on yes. Sunday. I agree with you, Dan. Yeah. And uh, the point that Peter made about their, their coach, they do have a good coach, and I think you made the same point, Nicky. Um, when you think about it, uh, I think one of the reasons why Port Adelaide have been struggling as much as they have is that they lost Richardson, they lost Walsh, and Walsh, and they are the two intelligent blokes down the club who could actually guide... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be as polite as I can about it. Um, but they were they were the intelligent, strategic blokes, and uh, I've got great respect for Richardson as a coach. And he's a very intense man who really takes it very seriously. And you can see he's living every moment on the ground. Um, and uh, uh, and Walsh, as we know, I think was going to was going to be an excellent coach. So um, 
uh, back to the original note, very good coach indeed, and I think that St Kilda are going to be a team of the future. I always wondered that losing Richardson meant all of a sudden that a lot of the Port IP, particularly to do with their GPS numbers, etc., then became even more common knowledge um, against Port. And I think so then the rest of the teams all knew what Port were running. And why, why, would, losing, why would losing Richardson uh, improve IP for all teams on Port? Wouldn't that only improve St Kilda's IP? Yeah, good point. I, I, I think it's yeah, what, but once once that information gets out to one, yes, once that information kind of gets out to one club, particularly a club in Victoria, the rest of them kind of start to hear about things as well. Yeah, in my view, Nicky, was more about who was left to, to come up with the ideas. Oh, oh, yes, as well. Strategically, they were stuffed. Bereft. Bereft. The bereft is a good word. It doesn't get used often enough. And do, we, do we see uh, any changes in terms of selection? I think that most commonly bantered about this week has been the uh, omission of uh, the uh, of Nathan Bamberlo to make way for Rory Laird. That seems to be uh, one that's on everybody's lips. Um, and I guess potentially with uh, David McKay being uh, available, um, also potentially um, Wayne Miller. Um, may well be in the gun after a quiet game on Saturday night. Just wondering how you might see that. Yeah, I think those two. And I think also um, Matt Crouch also might get a, a look in for um, uh, Henderson. And the reason I say Henderson is not because I'm um, downing on him. It's because he didn't get a game until Laird got injured. and. Um, Despite having lots of possessions, um, a, a few metres meters gained, he hasn't uh, hit many targets. Well, and I think we've been a, been a lesser side since he's been in as, as opposed to Laird. That, that See, means, the uh, issue for oh, me... Sorry, Nicky, but that, that, that means you're jumbling up the whole side, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it means some adjustment. Henderson, after the stuff up down forward where he got hit by Whitfield and thought the world had ended. He then got put on the wing. We left him away from the defence. <laughs> I, I wonder if we would keep him in the side because his height on the wing against Revolt. Yeah, I think, you'll, I think he will be kept. No, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that he'll, he'll stay in. I, and I think <laughs> the, main reason, the main reason I say that is because you know, this was an outstanding win on Saturday night. Yeah, an outstanding win. I mean, let's let's really put it up there where it belongs. It is. It was an outstanding win, and it was a, a, against a team that we weren't expected to beat, and the team was magnificent. And so, um, a selection committee that has been uh, reluctant to make many moves at all throughout the year, just I'd be very surprised if they make two moves, let alone three. Um, and so, I think that potentially one. Um, for, I think that, you know, I'd, be, I'd expect to see Rory Laird come back. But you know what? It also wouldn't surprise me if it's unchanged, you know, because um, the fact that this selection committee has shown um, time and again that they will reward 
you know, um, a victory and, and a team that has got the job done. And so whilst it's almost incomprehensible that Laird wouldn't get back in, and I think that he will, um, I wouldn't, you know, spill my red wine if uh, on Thursday night if it came out as unchanged. Yeah, but... Me, I just wonder if they will want Laird to do at least one game in the SNFL because might, he's had hmm. that, that time out. It, but it's almost gifting VB a game after his his recent performances, though. I agree, Macca, and I think that 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 move sh- I think that that move should be made. I, I don't I don't disagree with that at all. I, I just have a I, I'm just trying to sort of track back about you know what what they've his, his, when I say historically I only mean this season, but what the, what the selection uh, committee have been like, and they've been very very conservative, particularly when we have we, we've had wins. There's been you know, a few times this year where we've gone unchanged and um, I just wonder, I think they'll make that move, but I'm, I think all I'm saying is I wouldn't be surprised if they don't. No, you're right. I'd, I'd, I'd certainly make the, the one move. I'd make uh, Led for VB, uh, David, Mac, uh, David Mackay, I'm not really sure, for Miller. Um, Miller See, Mackay's, Mackay's had a hamstring. I reckon he'll come back through the SNFL. I don't think from a hamstring injury you bring him straight back into the AFL. I'd be happy with that, Nicky, yeah. I think I'd certainly be happy with just the one change. I, I, and if I had to say what was favourite at the moment, I would have said that just that one change. Yeah, I'll vote for that. All right. Um, I think that, that um, we're getting close to the uh, 45 minutes for Tuesday Night Live. Um, I think uh, Phoenix just sent a message about five minutes ago, so... Uh, I reckon we're we're not far away. Um, any closing thoughts for this week? Well, this will be my this will be my first game at the Adelaide Oval attending uh, a Crows game, so I'm pretty excited. Oh, well done, Dennis. Uh, nice. Do you live locally, Dennis? I do, as of about a month ago. I hope you enjoy the game, mate. Oh, yeah, great to hear you getting along, mate, and uh, certainly hope you enjoy the game. Might um, see you there, Danos, because uh, I'll be taking the kids. It's Kids Free Weekend this weekend. Uh, good stuff. At the Adelaide Oval. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to uh, butt in, Pete, and just remind people about uh, the cast on Thursday night and also the fact that Sunday night's cast might be a little bit later, given that I'm going to the footy and it's a late game. So, <laughs> And me too. Yeah, so I don't know. We might make it eight o'clock, Nikki. What do you reckon? That sounds fair. Yeah, I'll be around about. Oh, I should be home by then. Oh, Mecca. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks very much for uh, to everybody for joining us tonight, and uh, big thanks to Phoenix just while you're there, mate, for all of your tech support. Appreciate it as always, and thanks to all of those people who followed us online. Um, always good to have your comments and your questions. And hope you've enjoyed the show. Thanks very much, Nikki. Thanks very much, Daniels, and thanks very much. Macca for another edition of Tuesday Night Live. Good night, everybody. Thanks, Thanks Pete. Pete. Good night. Good night. Good night, night all.